friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. ready to go to God's Word. We just completed uh, James chapter 4, so I thought of giving us a little break. So I'm going to whet your appetite in so far as biblical prophecy is concerned. So for the next uh, two Sundays, I will be talking to you about future events. And so let's take a look at this time at Revelation chapter 13 and verses 1 to 10. And I'd like to invite everybody to please rise from their seats and Let's take a look at verses 1 to 10 at this time. So at the count of three, let's all read together aloud. One, two, three. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. And everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this lovely Sunday morning, reminding us once again of your loving kindness, your faithfulness, and your grace in our lives. Indeed, Lord, we are eternally indebted to you. And day by day, O oh God, we see your grace, we see your love, we see your power. And though at times we do not feel you, because you are the invisible God. We know that you are there. We know that your sovereignty prevails, and we experience your providence every single day of our lives. And so we are thankful. We are grateful to you, O God. And Lord, your word is truth, and your word is life. And this is what we want to study this morning. And so we pray for the blessed Holy Spirit to be upon our minds and upon our hearts. I pray for myself most especially, O God. Give me clarity of thought. Give me clarity of speech. Allow me to speak passionately and courageously and without compromise. I ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit that your name might be glorified. And I pray, Lord, that you might bring to a saving knowledge those who still do not know Jesus Christ. 
and whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, In Place of Christ. Now, the future is something that intrigues all of us. We somehow want to know a little bit about the future because we want to know what's going to happen to us. We want to know what's going to happen to the world. And what's quite interesting is if you and I go to the Bible, we go to the Scriptures, the Bible speaks a lot about future things. And this is exactly what you and I will be talking about. God presents to us clearly what is going to happen in the future. This is how the future will look like. And I think we are blessed. In fact, what the Bible says in the book of Revelation is that if you read the book of Revelation, you are blessed. And so I hope that you and I will be blessed by our study this morning because this will somehow give us the assurance that our future is bright, our future is secure. Now, that is not true at all, however, when it comes to world. And that is why I pray that we will be given a sense of urgency in preaching the gospel to those who are lost, and hopefully we might be able to save them and pluck them out of the fire so that in the same manner that you and I are blessed, they too will be blessed. In the same manner that you and I are saved, they too will be saved as well. And so, what you and I will be studying this morning is the fact that Satan has always desired, he has always desired to be worshipped. And this is something you actually see reflected in the Old Testament. So, let me, let me give you a text in Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 to 14, and this is in reference to Lucifer who later on becomes Satan or who later on becomes the devil. And this is his history. This is what happened in the past. That is why he had fallen. So let me read to you Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14, and here it goes. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Now, just by looking at this particular passage, you already see the difference, the wide divide between Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ because in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find the Lord Jesus Christ praying to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, in contrast, what do we see here? We see the phrase that is oft repeated, the phrase, I will. And so what we are seeing here is the self will of Satan. He does not want to fall under the will of God. He does not want to submit himself to the will of God. But he has his own aspirations. He has his own selfish ambitions. And obviously, his desire is not to glorify God, but to glorify himself. 
Something that Satan or Lucifer had forgotten is this, that God created us that we might bring glory and honor to His name. But Satan would not have that. Lucifer would not have that. He wants his own glory. He wants his own praise. He wants to be worshipped. And this is reflected in this particular passage. Notice what he says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now, the stars of God are in reference to the angels because angels are often referred to as stars in the Bible. And so here his desire is to become preeminent, to become over above all of God's creation, all of the angels. But even that would not satisfy him because if you take a look at verse 14, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So he's not content with being preeminent over God's creation or over God's angels. He wants to become like God. He wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to take the place of God. And in this particular passage, in his desire to be worshipped, he counterfeits God and he creates his own version of Christ. Now, normally, when we hear that word anti or anti-Christ, we think in terms of against Christ, and that is true. Satan will always take an adversarial stance against God. But we need to understand also the word anti can also mean in place of Christ. So what we find here is somebody who imitates Christ, somebody who attempts to become like Christ. And that is who the Antichrist is. He will present himself to the world as an angel of light. He will present himself to the world as the Messiah. Quite interestingly, a few years back in Tel Aviv, uh, which used to be the uh, functional capital of Israel before, before it was transferred to Jerusalem, they had this giant billboard which said, He is coming. Now, what they were referring to is not Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ we know in the Gospels, but they were referring to a future Christ. And obviously, we know who that is. The Bible tells us who that is. It is the Antichrist. And sadly, this is the one the Jews are waiting for to come. And they will accept him, at least initially. Their eyes would be opened later on because he will uh, show, or rather he would uh, pretend to become a political superman, but later on he will reveal his true colors. He will commit an abomination in the third temple. Now, the temple has not been completed. It has not yet, in fact, been started. That there will be a third temple that will be built in Jerusalem. And there, the Antichrist will uh, create his own abominable acts. He will create his own abomination in that place. He will create an image of himself to be worshipped. And then, the eyes of the Jews will be opened. But sadly, this is what they are waiting for. In fact, one of the places we visited in Israel last time around was the Temple Institute. And there we saw all the preparations, all the furniture that they were preparing for the temple. We saw the lampstand. 
which is worth billions of dollars because it's made of pure gold. We saw the altar of incense. Um, we saw the, the bronze altar as well. And so it's all being prepared right now. And we were shown a video. And in that video, there was a rabbi who was saying that they were preparing for the time of the coming of the Messiah. And he was talking about the excitement, the enthusiasm that many Jews had. And then he, he talks to the next generation on the screen, on cam. He talks to the next generation, and he asks them, are you ready? And you know what? To those of us who were watching that, we had goosebumps because we know exactly what they were waiting for. They will receive not the real Christ, but the fake Christ, the Antichrist. Now, in this chapter and section that we will be studying, we shall see Satan at work behind the scenes in his desire to be worshipped. Satan had always been at odds with God. He had always taken an adversarial stance against God. In fact, if you go one chapter before, that is Revelation chapter 12, you will see the kind of antagonistic stance that he takes against God himself. And so there is this constant hatred and striving against God reflected in chapter 12. Now, Satan's raging hatred of God is seen in this chapter in the many blasphemies that he speaks against God. In today's study, Satan's hatred of God brings him to create his own version of Christ. Now, this fake Christ, by the way, will be able to fool the world. The world will be deluded and they will follow him because they will think that he is indeed the Christ. But you know what? His true colors will eventually come out and people will discover him for who he really is. And that is a fake Christ. Now, in chapter 14, let me just segue to chapter 14. In chapter 14, what we will discover is a victorious Christ. And I believe this is something that should encourage us because when we talk about the tribulation period, when we talk about the Antichrist, sometimes we get horrified. We get scared of events in the future. Well, let me just encourage you because in Revelation chapter 14, what you and I will discover is a victorious Christ. At the end of the day, listen up, Christ wins. Amen? Satan might be powerful, but our God is greater and He will always win. That's why this book, the book of Revelation, is really precious. It is precious to us. Because sometimes we're wondering with the things that are happening in the world, when is this all going to end? When is the corruption going to end? When is this unrighteousness going to end? When, when is injustice going to end? When are all these dark things going to end? And we're wondering, is God, is God present in this world? And the book of Revelation encourages us. It tells us God is present. God is watching. God is laughing at the nations. Because in the end, He will rule and He will reign. So we will simply see this in the future. Now, it is from the dark backdrop of chapter 13 where we find Satan seducing the world to his own version of Christ. 
But you see, in the end of this passage, we find God and John the Beloved calling us to follow the real Christ. So there are really two things I'd like to talk to you about, and let me just share them to you right now. So this is going to be the flow of our study, and I made it applicational so that immediately we know how to apply this. First of all, this is the first point, beware of the fake Christ. In fact, even up to today, there are already fake Christs. One of the more famous ones is in Davao City. All right? So, what do we find and discover in verses 1 to 2? What we will find, and also verses 3 and 4, is the imitation of God the Father and God the Son. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to imitate everything that God does. Obviously, his desire is to be worshipped like the Father and the Son. And so in verses 1 and 2, we will talk about the source and scope of power and authority of the Antichrist. And here we find an imitation of the Trinity. All right? There is an imitation of the Trinity. We'll expound more on that later on. And then in verses 3 to 4, we find the sign, that event, that miraculous event, that empowers the Antichrist to be worshipped. We're probably wondering, will the world bite into that bait? They will. They will worship him. And it's because of this powerful sign. So what we find here is an imitation of Christ. As I mentioned to you, however, his true colors will come out. There is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed, the Bible says. And so how will his true colors come out? Well, in verses 5 to 7a, he will war against God himself and his saints. Believe it or not, there will be people who will be saved in the tribulation period. And then in 7b, up to verse 8, he will have a firm grip on the rest of the world. He will be the ultimate dictator. Nowadays, we see a lot of strong men like Kim Jong-un, like... Uh, like Putin, and they're strong men. And let me just tell you this, they will be nothing in comparison to this strong man. The Antichrist would be a world dictator, and he will be an oppressive one. So, if you think about this, there's only one choice for us. There's really just one choice for the whole world, and that's my second point. You need to come to the real Christ. And so, in, in the first part of that, we will be talking about John's call to genuine faith and repentance, God's call to genuine faith and repentance, and a call to persevere to those who are believers in Christ. So this is how the sermon will play out this morning, and hopefully you will listen well because this is very important. And on these two important truths, we can anchor ourselves when we are confronted with Satan's deceptions because he will try to delude us. He will try to deceive us. Jesus said, however, that wisdom is vindicated by its deeds. The true callers of something will eventually be manifested. And as we will see later on, as we will discover later on, we will find Satan revealing his true callers. Now, it is in the light of this that we are all called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you the importance of this. We would all like to think that we are all believers here. We would all like to think that we are all children of God. We'd like to think that we are all sons and daughters of God. But let me be upfront with you. 
not all of us are children of God. Unless we are able to show the evidence of genuine faith, we cannot rightly call ourselves children or sons and daughters of God. That is why the call of this particular passage is a call to genuine repentance. And why should we repent? Because if we do not repent, we will go through this period that I will just describe to you later on. It is called the tribulation period. The tribulation period is going to be a hard and difficult time. In fact, it will be the most difficult time the world will experience. Calamities will abound. Earthquakes will abound. We just had a recent earthquake, right? I was, I was in Clark uh, with my wife when that happened, and a lot of people were jolted. Good thing it was short. Well, let me tell you this. That's nothing. That is really nothing. Because the kind of earthquakes that will take place in the tribulation period, they will change the topography of the land. They will change the geography. They will change a lot of things. Islands will move. Mountains will move. Those are the kinds of things that will happen. You will have very powerful meteor showers. You will have water being affected. People will have lack of food, and they will have lack of water. And you have an oppressive antichrist, the world dictator, ruling everything from the world of religion to the world of politics to the world of economy. He will have a firm grip on all these things, and that's the masterstroke of Satan because you know what that means? You can't do business without the approval of the antichrist. You can't work without the approval of the antichrist. You cannot really earn a living without the approval of the antichrist. And so, friends, let me tell you about these things. These things are very serious. And if you're thinking, is this really going to happen? Well, you, you and I know that God fulfilled everything in so far as the first coming was concerned. Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament was literally fulfilled by Christ. And so what makes you think that these things are written for us, things that pertain to the future will not happen? They will happen because God is not a liar. The only thing He speaks about is the truth. And he is warning the world, and he's telling the world a dangerous time will come. As I mentioned, meteor showers will come, and you know what's going to happen? Millions of people will die. We're not just talking about a few thousands here. We're talking about millions upon millions upon millions of people. Well, let me tell you this. You don't have to pass through the tribulation period. If you are a son and a daughter of God, here's what the book of Thessalonians says. You have not been destined for wrath. So before the tribulation takes place, you will be caught up in the clouds. It is called the doctrine of the rapture. We will be caught up in the clouds before the tribulation period takes place. Well, here's my question for you. If the rapture takes place here and now, or even in a few weeks' time or a few days' time, are you sure? And this is a very important question. Are you sure you will be caught up in the clouds? Are you sure you will be taken up? Are you sure you will ascend on high and be with the Lord forever? Because if you are not a genuine son or daughter of God, let me tell you this, you will go through the tribulation period. Is there still hope for salvation? Yes. 
In fact, the upside of the tribulation period is this. The tribulation period will be the time of the greatest harvest of souls history has ever experienced. It will be the greatest harvest of souls that history will experience. And that's why, friends, there's still hope. So if you're thinking, maybe I'll wait until the tribulation period, well, God bless you. All right? Please take care of this building. And those who are seeking, maybe you can take my pulpit and you can preach to them. But seriously speaking, yes. Yes. There will be this time at a certain point in history, and it will be a scary, scary time. Here's the good thing. It will only last for seven years. Because the Bible says, if God will not cut short those days, nobody would survive physically. Nobody. Everybody would die. And what happens right after the tribulation period is the second coming. So here's the timeline. Before the tribulation period happens, you have the rapture. And then you have the tribulation period. And right after that, you have the second coming. And right after that, the millennium. Now that's heavy stuff, right? And I don't think I can be able to explain all of that to you uh, in this morning. So I suggest you enroll in IBI. All right, so just a little plugging. But seriously speaking, you want to go deeper in God's Word, you have to study. And unfortunately, I do not have the benefit of time to be able to do a whole day seminar for you on a Sunday. We have other services, and we have other things to do as well. But anyway, friends, I hope you take this seriously. Let's talk about the fake Christ, first of all. Now, here we find in verses 1 to 2, the imitation of the Father and the Son and what we discover here is the source and scope of the power and authority of the Antichrist. And here, once again, we find the imitation of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son being imitated. So let's read Revelation 13, 1 and 2 once again. Here's what it says. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now, initially, when you read this, it's so intimidating. You have symbols all over, and you think, well, how in the world can I understand all these symbols? Well, let me just tell you this. You do not need to be intimidated because there are certain rules in Scripture. If there are certain things you do not understand, you can actually go to another part of Scripture, and that will give you clarity. So here's one rule which you need to understand when you want to understand Scripture Here's one rule. The rule is let Scripture interpret Scripture. In other words, don't make a guess. And when you see a passage of Scripture, don't guess what it means. Try to look in other parts of the Bible, and you will discover exactly what it means. And we don't have to guess, actually, because the dragon here is referred to in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we are told that the dragon here is Satan. 
So don't guess who the dragon is. The dragon is Satan. He is called the dragon here. Now, he is seen standing on the sand of the seashore. And here's something you need to understand as well. When you go back to the Old Testament, the seas, all right, S-E-A-S, the seas have always symbolized the nations. So say nations, please. So what, does, what do the seas symbolize? The nations, all right. So now we see the dragon. We see Satan standing on the seashore. What does that indicate? Somehow, it tells us His sovereignty over nations. He will be given, He will be permitted by God to have sovereignty over nations. As it is, in fact, Satan is already powerful. If you take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, here's what it says. In whose case, the God of this world. He's called the God of this world by none other than Paul himself. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you're wondering why all the spiritual blindness in the world, why do people not see God in all of His, in all of his glory in spite of His revelation of Himself in the Scriptures? Well, here's the reason. The God of this world has blinded their minds. That's the reason why people in the world do not see what we see. We're able to see what God shows to us in His revelation in the Scriptures only because God opened our eyes. But the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So here what we see is the global influence and power that Satan has. And this is an imitation of the sovereignty of God the Father over the nations. So again, what do we see here? A desire to become like God. That ambition has never waned in so far as Satan is concerned. Up until today and all the way into the future, he will still want to be like God. Here's the tragedy for him. He will never win. But there will come a time wherein he will have apparent sovereignty for a short period of time. Now, when we move further, it says, Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Again, we might be intimidated by all the details. Don't worry about that. What is the beast coming up out of the sea here? Well, again, let's talk about the sea. The sea represents what? The nations. Now, who is the beast here? Now, the beast here is the Antichrist. I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture later on, but I just want to share who that beast is. Now, we are told here that he has ten horns and that he has seven heads. On his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, let me break down this thing to you. The beast here refers to the world dictator, the Antichrist. And Paul talks about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10. And here's what Paul says about the Antichrist. Then 
that lawless one that's referring to the Antichrist will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. So the second coming is going to destroy the Antichrist. But not until the second coming. It's still in the future. Moving forward, it says, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the Antichrist will be fooling the world. And how will he fool the world? He will perform signs and wonders and miracles. And through these things, he will be able to deceive and fool the world. The world will follow him. They will believe in him. And what is the reason why they will believe in him? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. That's why truth is so essential. And every Sunday we gather together, what is being presented here is the truth of God's Word. And you have to love the truth. You must accept the truth. You must not resist the truth. Because the moment you resist the truth, a deluding influence will come upon you. That is what happens with people who reject the truth. Their hearts become hardened. Their minds become clouded. They become confused. And later on, you will find great unbelief. And though they may want to repent, there will no longer be any room for repentance because their hearts have become so hardened already, they cannot turn to God, but they will turn to Satan. Satan is on a mission. And he's very intentional. His intention is to take you away from God. Because he knows that when you are in the loving arms of God, when you are in the loving embrace of God, you're safe. He doesn't want you safe. He wants you damned together with him in hell because misery loves company. That's what he wants. He wants everybody else to join him in hell. And friends, let me tell you this. It's not a big party in hell as some people might presume. It's not a big party out there. It's going to be torment, great torment that you have never, ever experienced before. That is the fate of those who reject the truth. So what do we discover here in this passage that we just read? This is an imitation of Christ. The Antichrist imitating Christ who would one day rule in the millennium over the whole world. When Christ comes, he will land in the Mount of Olives. And interestingly, we're told that in the Mount of Olives, there is a fault line. We're told in the book of Zechariah, and this is what I'll talk about also next weekend. So if you're interested in all these things, be with me next, next Sunday. I'll talk about this. But there's a fault line there, and we're told in the book of Zechariah, the Mount of Olives will split apart. Isn't that interesting? When Christ comes, He will start ruling from Jerusalem, and He will rule the entire world. So here's the thing. If you are frustrated with government, if you are frustrated with how things are in the world, 
Well, worry not, fret not, because a time will come when the government will be upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And He will rule and reign over the whole world, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, here is what the Antichrist does. He imitates that. Now, horns, what do this mean? It speaks symbolically, symbolically of authority, and what it might be referring to here is authority over ten kingdoms. Most Bible scholars are agreed, and we have to reference Daniel chapter 7, 7 to 8, wherein what we find there is the fourth beast. And the fourth beast actually represents the revived Roman Empire. And so, the Antichrist will be coming from the revived Roman Empire. Now, where exactly is the revived Roman Empire? Well, if you take a look at the map right now, you take an ancient map and you take a modern map right now, the revived Roman Empire is actually Europe. This is where the Antichrist will come from. Where exactly? We don't know. Will it come from Britain? We don't know. Will it come from France? We don't know. Will he come from Switzerland? We don't know. All we know is that the Bible tells us he will come from this place, the revived Roman Empire. And again, that's why if you want to understand, by the way, the book of Revelation, you have to study the book of Daniel as well. They're a pair. You have to pair them together to be able to understand them. Now, the seven heads here, that, that, uh, by the way, the ten, uh, ten horns here speaks of ten kingdoms. So there will be ten very powerful nations under the revived Roman Empire, the seven heads here could refer to the seven most powerful and influential kings of the revived Roman Empire. All right? They will be the seven. Of course, the most powerful among the seven heads would be the Antichrist himself. Now, notice it says here that he has blasphemous names. Blasphemous names are indicative of their adversarial stance against God. And then, we're given more details about the Antichrist. Look at verse 2. It says, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now, some of you might ask, well, how do, how do we attempt to understand that? Is that literal or is that figurative? Let me give you another rule in interpreting Scripture. If the plain sense makes common sense, make no other sense. In other words, if you read the passage of Scripture and literally it makes sense, don't make any other sense. Take it literally. However, in this case, it doesn't make sense. Some of you have visited uh, Cebu Safari, right? Some of you have posted pictures. And let me just ask you this question. Have you seen in Cebu Safari or in any other zoo a beast which was like a leopard, whose feet were, were like those of a bear, and whose mouth was the mouth of a lion. Have you ever seen any kind of beast like that? And I'm sure you will tell me we haven't seen anything like it. So, the plain sense doesn't make common sense. So, don't take this literally. It is figurative. 
Now, here's the question. Well, if it's going to be taken figuratively, what then does it mean? Again, we go back to the first rule. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. We don't have to guess because in Daniel chapter 7, verse 6, it talks about the leopard, and it symbolized the Grecian Empire. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, it talks about the bear, which symbolizes the Medo-Persian Empire. And then if you go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 4, you find a reference to the lion, and the lion symbolizes Babylon. Now, these were the most powerful empires of long ago before the Roman Empire. So you had the Grecian Empire, you had the Babylonian Empire, you had the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, what does this indicate, therefore? That the empire, listen well, the world empire of the Antichrist will somehow combine all the characteristics of these empires. In other words, it's going to be more, it's going to be stronger, more powerful than all of the world empires that this world has ever experienced. That is the kind of power and authority he will wield. And notice what else it says here. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So he is empowered by the devil himself. He is the man of the devil. There are only two people who will be possessed by Satan. One has already been possessed. That was Judas. Remember, the Bible says Satan entered Judas when he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one other person who will be possessed personally by Satan, and that will be the Antichrist. So he will be the man of the devil. Again, notice here an imitation of the roles of God the Father and God the Son. The devil imitating God the Father, giving authority to his own son, the Antichrist. And that's what we see in the Gospels as well when it comes to God the Father and God the Son. So again, imitation. That's why if there's something that Satan majors in, he majors in the fake. He majors in the counterfeit. And somehow this should give us warning because we are told in the Scriptures that many false prophets are out there in the world. We need to be warned. And a lot of people do not take seriously the study of the Word of God. This is the reason why in this church what we attempt to do is equip you with the Word of God, educate you with the Word of God. What we want to happen is that each and every believer in Christ become biblically literate because this is what will protect you from the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. This is what will protect you from the deception of the enemy and is out there deceiving a lot of people and he has a lot of false agents and they're out on TV they're you're listening to some of them on radio and they're out there in social media and they're trying to fool the rest of the world and that is why it is my burden really that we become equipped so that as we become equipped we will not be deceived tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine that comes our way now, here's the question that we need to ask. How in the world 
will the people worship the Antichrist? Because to us, we're thinking that's unimaginable that somebody would worship the Antichrist. Well, let me tell you this. Let's go to the sign that empowers him to be worshipped, which we find in verses 3 to 4. And what we discover here is an imitation of Christ once again. Let's read verse 3. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, what do you think is this talking about? This is talking about an assassination attempt on the life of the Antichrist. That's why you will notice here, it says, his fatal wound was healed. So it will appear as if he actually died. And then it says here, he was healed, which talks about a resurrection. Now, my thinking is this must be a fake resurrection because only God can actually raise people from the dead. Amen? Satan, with all his power, cannot bring a person back to life. So it could be a fake resurrection. But what do we see here? An imitation of Christ once again. Christ died and rose on the third day. So the Antichrist dies as well, and he will be resurrected to life. And that's what the world sees. Try to imagine this coming out on TV, coming out on CNN, coming out on BBC, coming out on Al Jazeera, coming out from our local stations. The whole world will cover this. They will cover the career of this political superman. And they will be watching him. And they will see him. They will see this assassination attempt. And they will see him being brought to the hospital probably even being declared dead. But all of a sudden, he rises back to life and the world will be in awe. They will be amazed and they will start following the beasts. That's how it's going to happen. You want to know how the future plays out? That's how it plays out. That is how the future looks like. Of course, there is an alternative view espoused by Dr. Thomas Ice, and this is quite possible as well, that this will be, if this was a true resurrection, it could be a pre-resurrection because the future resurrection of unbelievers would take place at the great white throne judgment. This is after the 1,000-year reign of Christ. I'm giving you some heavy stuff. But you know what? This is good because it will stretch your brain. It will stretch your understanding of Scripture. It will whet your appetite. And hopefully, you would want to study more. But here's the thing. It could be a pre-resurrection. If it's a true resurrection, it could be a pre-resurrection. Now, whatever the case might be, whether it's a fake resurrection or a pre-resurrection, it's very clear. What Satan is trying to do here is imitate what happened to Christ so that it could deceive the world. And the application to us is here. It serves as a warning to us about the schemes of the evil one. First John, in 1 John, John had warned about Antichrist's 
during his time who were parading themselves as agents of God. Now, these false prophets undermine God's words and subtly attack God's attributes and person. That's why if there's something that we have to hold on dearly, it is the infallibility and inerrancy of the Word of God. A lot of people will cause you to try to doubt the Word of God. They will say, that's not really God's Word. And we have to believe that because if we fail to believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Scriptures, we would be easily deluded. Now, it gets worse. Look at verse 4. It really gets worse. They worshipped the dragon. They worshipped Satan. Now, of course, will, will Satan say that I'm the devil? Maybe not. He will probably present himself as the real God. But Scripture tells us that the total depravity of man will reach such a point wherein they will be so blind that they will worship Satan. That's scary. They worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? I mean, we, we sing songs like, who is like thee? In awe of, of, of God, we, we worship Him for all His greatness and splendor and majesty. And this is exactly what's going to happen. The world will be in awe of the Antichrist and they will say, who is like Him? They will see Him as a Christ. The fake resurrection or pre-resurrection will cause the world to worship and follow Satan and the Antichrist. The world will attribute omnipotent power to him. And this has been the lifelong goal of Satan, to be worshipped like God. And here, at least for a short period of time, he will succeed because he imitates God. He imitates the worship that is only due to God. But you see, with all the deceptions that take place, with all the deceptions that Satan feeds the world, his true colors will be exposed. And this is what we see here in my second sub-point. And how is his true colors shown? Well, he wars, he wars against God and his saints. Where do we find that? Verses 5 to 7. 5 to 7. Well, let's take a look at verses 5 to 6, first of all. It says here, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle that is those who dwell in heaven. The Antichrist will blaspheme God. And this will be apparent in a 42-month period. Now, if you compute that, how many years are we talking about here? You don't have to think. It's on the screen. It's three and a half years. Amen? It's three and a half years. So what are we talking about here? Listen well, because this is important. The Bible speaks about a time which is called the tribulation period. All right? However, the Bible also speaks about another period of time within the tribulation period, and this is called the Great 
tribulation. So the great tribulation is inside the tribulation period. It is the last three and a half years, and those years would be extremely difficult. The first three and a half years, there would be seeming peace because the Antichrist will, will uh, present himself as a political superman who will give peace in the Middle East. That's the reason, by the way, the Jews will accept him because that's what the Jews want. They want peace. And the Antichrist will present himself. He will gather all these nations and somehow he will succeed in, in creating a peace covenant, a peace treaty. This will make him popular. But that's the first three and a half years. The last three and a half years, his true colors will come out. He will start blaspheming against God and he will start oppressing people. It, is, it says here, it will also be given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So I mentioned to you the upside in the tribulation period is that there will be a lot of people who will be born again. So friends, listen well. If, if this message doesn't make you born again, if this message doesn't bring you to the Lord Jesus Christ, well, just wait for the tribulation period. Maybe you will be born again. Well, hopefully you will become born again now. Now, he will have a firm grip on the rest of the world. Look at 7b to 8. An authority, listen well, an authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. What is this talking about? This is talking about worldwide authority. Again, who is he imitating here? He is imitating Christ in the future, Christ in the second coming, who will rule the whole world from Jerusalem. And so this is what the Antichrist will do. In verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship Him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. All unbelievers will worship Him. All those who have not been chosen and elected by God for salvation will worship Him. That will be their faith and their destiny, and that will be their faith and destiny because they did not receive the love of truth. That's why in verses 9 to 10, we find the Lord's call to the real Christ. If there's a fake Christ, there's a real Christ, and the real Christ already came, and He will come again. So in view of the horrific imitation of God and Christ, here's a call to genuine faith and repentance in verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And the question I, I submit to you this morning is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you taking this seriously? Do you believe exactly what the Bible is saying? And I pray to God that you believe this with all of your heart. I pray to God that you are taking this seriously and not lightly. I pray to God that you're not taking these things casually. Friends, this is the real thing. You want to know how the future will be? This is how the future looks like. And it's scary, it's horrific, it's dark, it's gloomy. And a lot of people will be killed. Millions upon millions of people will die. And people will be forced to worship the Antichrist. 
They will be asked to have His sign on their foreheads and on their forearms. And they cannot sell. They cannot buy. They cannot do any economic activity unless they have the sign of the beast. So let me ask you, are you really in Christ? Make sure. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Because if your faith is not genuine, if you just think you are a Christian but you're not, then I pity you. Because it is a pathetic thing to think you are when you are not a believer at all. And here's where we need to become serious. The Christian faith is serious. It is not a play of words. The Word of God is intended to bring deliverance. The Word of God is intended to set us free. The Word of God is intended to bring redemption to mankind and to change the human heart. That's why every time the Word of God is issued out of this pulpit, we have to listen and pay careful attention. And here, God is calling people to genuine faith and repentance. For people who will come to Christ in the tribulation period, and I know there are some who will accept Christ, not now, but in the tribulation period. Here's the call for you. Verse 10, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Question, who is being addressed in verse 10? Again, we don't have to guess because it already tells us who this is being or who are being addressed here because it says here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. It's talking to the people who will be saved in the tribulation period. And here's the thing. If you get saved in the tribulation period, you need to be prepared to become a martyr. That's why it says here, if you're destined for captivity, to captivity you go. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So God is calling people in the tribulation period to persevere because Christ will come. But here's my hope that you don't have to go through the tribulation period. The application here, by the way, is when John wrote this, the Roman Empire was being ruled by the Emperor Domitian, who was a very cruel and oppressive emperor who was killing Christians left and right. But a one, what a wonderful way to end the Bible. Because in the book of Revelation, what do we see? At the end of it, God wins. Amen? At the end of it, God wins. So whose side would you like to be on? God's side 
or the Antichrist side or Satan side. Because friends, let me just tell you this. When it comes to faith, you can't be neutral. You can't be in both places. You're either for Him, for Christ, or you're against Him. That's the way it is. You cannot be for and against Him both at the same time. So in the end, Satan's evil ambitions will be to be like God, will be finally crushed, and those who follow him will have the same fate. For those who do know Christ, it is good to heed the message of this passage, to turn to the real Christ in genuine faith and repentance. For us who know Christ, let us persevere in the midst of adversity and persecution, for in the end, Christ wins. Our hope is secure and bright, and we must therefore walk as people of a bright future. Amen? Our future is bright and secure. Could we bow our heads and close our eyes at this time? Today, I believe God is speaking to some. Some of us here take inspiration by the fact that the Scriptures tell us that we do have a bright future and Christ will come again and He will come for His church. And for that, we are thankful. But there are some here who do not share in that bright hope and future. But I believe there are no accidents. You're here because God wants you to listen to this message. And I pray to God that you were listening intently. You need to understand what I just expounded to you is not a movie. It's not a fantasy thriller. It's the real thing. In so far as God is concerned, it's history. It's done. In so far as this world is concerned, we're still moving forward. But what is written here will happen. So here's my question for you. Are you sure, 100%, that you are a child of God? Are you 100% sure that you're born again? If you are, take courage and take inspiration. But if not, God is giving you this opportunity to come to Him. Salvation is not by your good works. Your good works will not save you because our good works will never make us perfect. And what God requires to enter into His kingdom is to be perfect. While that is not possible for us, humanly speaking, here's what Christ did. He performed the perfect sacrifice by dying on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future. And having covered our sins, that makes you perfect. So what do I need to do? All you need to do is accept 
what Christ had done in Calvary. All you need to do is receive the free gift of eternal life. And you also need to repent, ask for forgiveness for all your sins. And He will. But also ask Him to change you, to make you the kind of person He wants you to be. So what this requires when it comes to genuine faith is an absolute surrender, saying to Christ, I'm yours. Everything I am, everything I have is yours. So if you want to receive Christ today, if you want to surrender your life, if you want to make Him your Savior and your Lord, and you want to pray, you want to do that right now, let me help you. If you don't know how to pray, let me, let me give you a prayer guide. This is just a prayer guide. But you need to pray it. You need to own this prayer. You need to pray it sincerely for it to become real for you, for you to have salvation. So if that's what you want, all over this place, those who want to become sons and daughters of God, those who want to become children of God, those who want to be saved from the wrath that is to come upon the world and the wrath of hell, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord? Those who want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, brother. Amen. Yes, sisters. Amen. Yes, brother. Amen. Amen for those hands. Amen. Yes, sister. Yes, sister. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. Yes, sister. Yes, brother. Yes, brother. Amen. Yes, I see the hand, the hand at the back. Anyone else? Yes, sister. Amen. You can put them down right now. Now pray this from your heart. Remember this. God doesn't listen to what comes out of your mouth, but He listens to your heart. So let your mouth only express what is really inside your heart. So here's how we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. I know that I cannot save myself. And so I turn to you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. For I know that through your death in Calvary, all of my sins will be washed away. So I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to become Lord of my life. Everything I am, everything I have is yours. I repent of all my sins, and I ask you, O oh God, to make me into the kind of person you want me to be. From this day onwards, I am yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Again, uh, for those of you who just accepted the Lord today, we'd like to invite you at the Hall of Moses. Go, that, go up that stairway and go to that room. We're going to serve you some light snacks. And for those of you who come, have come for the first time or those of you who have questions, please, please join us. We want to meet up with you and we want to talk to you. So, shall we rise... Uh, from our seats, and let's end in prayer. We thank you for the teaching today. 
And Lord, it is not a mystery. The things that we studied today are not mysterious in that they could not be discovered. And you unraveled before us its meaning. And Lord, the world is being prepared for this ultimate and final world dictator. And Satan is preparing that day and that time because of his desire to be worshipped. But Lord, we are not fooled and we are not deceived. And this makes us grateful that you took us out from the path of darkness and you have brought us into your kingdom, your kingdom of marvelous light. And here we are resting in your glory, resting in your goodness. And we just want to bless you and thank you, Lord, that you saved us and redeemed us by your loving kindness and grace. And so we pray, O oh God, that the words that had been spoken might resonate in our hearts. May we have this sense of urgency to purify ourselves. May we have this sense of urgency to share the gospel to as many people as possible, to our friends, to our unsaved loved ones, or even to complete strangers, that they might know Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, whatever has been achieved, we give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord.